I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, kids. Uh, happy Friday to you. It feels like we just started September, and now we're rounding the corner pretty quick into October. Uh, glad you could join us. Uh, glad you're, I am me. Uh, Jack is over there. Uh, Jack, uh, things that I'm thinking about while we're on the air, when are you going to get a camera? When are you going to turn a camera around so that people can see you? That would be the next evolution. Because, of course, you're now becoming a, a far more important cog in this wheel. Yeah, I've become an interior decorator in here. Yeah, I don't know. I oh, think the camera's got to come soon. It's probably. soon because, of course, we encourage people to leave comments because you'll you'll curate them and go through them and ask them later on in the program. So uh, at some point, if you don't mind setting up a camera for yourself so that you can now take partial responsibility for this. Sounds good. You can't just bell be on me. Um, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, lots to talk about. Very excited about our guest today. Uh, he is a favorite of mine. I will get into that. Um, don't ever feel like he got a fair shake here. Um, and I say that, and it was under the watch of a, a guy that I have a lot of admiration for, respect for, and a friendship with, and that's Brad for Living, but we'll get into it. Sven Berchi, recently retiring from the National Hockey League. Um, he played uh, for Calgary, Vancouver. And if I don't mention this, somebody will go, what about that one game with the goal? Yes, he played one game with the Vegas Golden Knights too, so he did. Uh, we're going to talk to Sven uh, about hockey, life after hockey, about hockey, and about his time in Calgary. Um, a reminder that this is an inclusive program. Um, everybody is welcome here. Um, I am going to refrain from uh, going too far off on the deep end about uh, idiots, donkeys, and um, tin hat brigades what they did on Wednesday um, using children as a, as a, an excuse as a shield is, is just disgusting. So, um, you know, again, you're welcome here. This is a, a, a place for all uh, broadcasting live from treaty seven territory as well. Uh, make that mention um, a lot going on as we have now gone from uh, captain skates into golf tournament into Penticton tournament and now into day two of training camp uh, that is right across the National Hockey League but of course we focus here locally with the local hockey heroes. Um, day one was uh, somewhat newsworthy um, and and Jack asked me before was I surprised um, about the news about Oliver Shillington? Um, surprised but I don't think I'm shocked um, he missed the entire year last year. Uh, I think he has been very up, up front of, about it. He's, he's spoken to the media about his, his struggles with mental health. 
Um, and I'm not suggesting for a second that that's what this is, um, but I, I would suggest that I am going to uh, give Oliver and the team a wide berth and let him do what he needs to do to get ready to come back. Let the team need do what they need to do to, to welcome him back. Um, so no Oliver Shillington to start camp. That changes a little bit of the equation in the mix on the blue line. Not a little bit, it does. It changes the equation in the mix on the blue line rather significantly. Uh, this is a team that stayed fairly quiet in the offseason, although it, it did sign Jordan Osterley as, uh, you know, as depth, it has Dennis Gilbert, um, both of which have plenty of NHL experience now and and can be inserted in the lineup. But what you don't have is what we all wonder what we were watching two years ago with Oliver Shillington. Was it the emergence of a gifted, um, offensive, reliable, defensively defenseman that others would covet? Not saying he was going to be an all-star, not saying he was going to be a Norris Trophy candidate, but I think he was that guy that uh, you go from being that extra piece, that sixth, seventh, eighth swingman to, geez, you know, his contract might make him uh, very attractive to people. Uh, he, he was drafted in the second round um, with some baggage. Um, the Flames felt that he fell to them. Um, you know, he, he could skate like the wind, played a lot of pro hockey even before he was drafted in Sweden. Um, you know, maybe it's taken a long time for him to emerge. Uh, maybe it hasn't. It, it, that's a, a personal judgment I suppose we can all make. But I think two years ago we were watching a young man that could offensively produce in this league and was much better defensively in this league, um, was capable of utilizing his speed and skill to make up for mistakes and while that sounds like a backhanded compliment, it's not a backhanded compliment. Um, there's a lot of guys that can't make up their mistakes. Oliver Shillington can, and that's a great gift. Um, so my only hope is that he's getting what he needs and he's in a place where he's going to be comfortable and fine and, and happy. That's all you can ever ask. So um, that being said, uh, this sounds like me critiquing uh, my former peers, my current peers, however you want to say the Calgary media. Um, I just felt there were two tracks yesterday. I, I felt there was the track coming in. Oh, oh what about Lindholm? Oh, oh, what about Backlund? Oh, oh, what about this guy? Uh, and then what I saw was a very happy Ryan Huska. Um, and I know a lot of people were saying the vibe, the vibe, the vibe is different. All right, the vibe is different. I do know this. That is one of the happiest coaches I've ever seen on a day one of a training camp. Um, you know, I've seen other coaches that use day ones as, uh, as opportunities to send messages, as the time to, you know, uh, call out and, and set the tone, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, if, if Huska set a tone yesterday, it's for enthusiasm and wanting to be at the rink. And I don't think there's a single thing wrong with that. I like it. I am not critical of it. I'm all on board. We saw some of the combinations. Uh, Huberto and Lindholm um, seem to be a pairing. Um, uh, Sarangovich is, is, I think, swing, uh, skating on the right side right now. Um, you know, we've, we've seen uh, Ruzicka moved up. On the on the on the depth chart, all of these are day one observations. Um, Markstrom 
who really hasn't been much of a story, you know, heading in. He's got a contract, so nobody really seemed to be too worried about him. Markstrom talked quite candidly about his his struggles last year, um, you know, and and bouncing back. And and these are all the things you want to hear day one, but they're they're day one things. Um, the 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 game start this weekend with the ridiculous, you know, double header against Seattle. I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see the value in it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and I would anticipate we are hopefully going to break away from this log jam of storylines. It's, it's been the, you know, Jack and I talked about this. Oh, I don't want to go to captain's skates and talk to these players. What are we going to talk to them about? Ah, oh, now we got to talk to them at the golf term. Now it's, day one of training camp and it's contracts, contracts, contracts. And Hey, I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying they aren't important. I, they are, they, they're, yeah, they're everything. I get it. It's a, it's a salary cap league, but two, two lockouts. Well, more than that, but the two lockouts that I've covered it, it, they always, and I know 2012, 13 seems like a million miles away and 2004, 2005 seems like a million miles away but it's a business. It's a business. So I don't, I'm not going to begrudge players from holding cards close to their vest. I'm not going to begrudge players for not doing handstands and giving uh, local discounts. Um, some do, some don't. Um, the one thing that I would suggest is if you are living in a bubble, if the Calgary flames are the only team you're paying attention to, then take heed and take heart um, that, Players on expiring contracts tend to be carrying the day in all markets. Uh, Toronto, William Nylander, Winnipeg, um, they're all fired up about, you know, the futures of Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck. Vancouver, Elias Peterson, what's his next contract going to look like? The one that, the, the one that if, if you told me, if you said, Rob, of all of the contracts um, out there, all the players on expiring contracts, which is the safest to get done and, and move forward and won't be any controversy. Honest to God, I would have said Tampa Bay and Steven Stamkos. I would have said it. But now it, it's maybe the one of all of these expiring contracts in the league that has gotten the most attention because of what he means to that organization, the, the success that he's had in that organization, and the fact that he's, he's still very productive in his 30s. Um, but then, you know what? Then the reality of the situation kicks in and you go, oh, hold on. Who's the GM there? Ah, that's right. Julian Brisebois. Um, if you look at the way the Tampa Bay Lightning do business, they don't do business like the media thinks they should, like fans think they should, and quite honestly, like 30 other, 31 other teams in the league do business. They don't. Um, they ride and ride and ride a horse. And then when they figure they're done with it, they move on. Andre Plot, Alex Kalorn. I mean, Blake Coleman wasn't there very long, but he was an intricate part of their third line. Very important. Moved on. Um, they moved on from Ben Bishop. They moved on, um, you know, uh, from lots of players. Um, you know, Stamkos had, and I think he knows that and that, maybe informs why he said what he said. 
And as uh, thanks, Jack, as he put up Greg Wyshynski, there's the quote from Greg Wyshynski. To be honest, I've been disappointed in the lack of talk in that regard. It was something that I expressed at the end of last year that I wanted to get something done before training camp started. There haven't been any conversations, Stamco said on Wednesday. Um, Breezebois spoke to the media and he, he said, no, nothing's been done. I, I almost think that that's by design from Stamkos. I don't think he accidentally made those statements. I think he knows what the history of the general manager is. I think he wants to stay in Tampa. And now he's getting the feeling that, you know, Tampa's going to do what Tampa does. And they'll disconnect themselves from him. Um, they've won two cups. They've been to four with Stamkos. Uh, accolades, accolades, accolades. But if there is a single entity in the National Hockey League that should remind us this is a business, a business first, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's not to say they're mean and, 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 and difficult, and I think everybody wants to play for John Cooper. I think everybody wants to be in that organization. But the reality is, for those of you my age, there's a little bit of Logan's Run going on there. There's a little bit of you get to a certain part and it's over. Uh, I'll, I'll let all, you, all the kids Google Logan's Run and then I'll under, understand exactly. Jack, do you know about Logan's Run? I do not know about Logan's okay, Run. Okay, so I'll let you Google it and it'll all make sense. Okay. Um, but there's a little Logan's Run going on there. You get to a certain point and it's over. Um, so watch that one with interest. Um, it would be really, really odd to see Steven Stamkos in another jersey. It's been done before. You know, we saw it with Jerome here. Um, it's not unprecedented. And I think it's headed that way. But I think that's why Stamco said what he said, is he would really like to stay. He'd like to be the oddity in the, in the Breezebaugh administration. He'd like to be the guy that sticks around and, and, um, and, and defies the way they've done business. But to do that, he's going to have to be creative. They're going to have to be creative in the way they can negotiate that contract. Um, you know, and again, who, you, 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 who does business like the Tampa Bay Lightning? I mean, look at the ridiculous amount they paid last year to Nashville for ostensibly what's a third line forward and, you know, physical guy, character, heart, and soul guy. But they gave up the farm because that's exactly what they wanted. That's how they do business. A um, couple other things not to do with... Uh, potential UFAs, but RFAs. Interesting in Anaheim, Trevor Zegris, Jamie Drysdale, two RFAs without deals. Um, the little ball of hate, Pat Verbeek, as a general manager, has already, and he's, he's done the job for a couple years now uh, since replacing Murray, um, already has a reputation as a tough negotiator, already has a reputation of uh, being a guy that, you know, spends it like it's his own. Um, and I would guess, considering the wealth of draft picks and young prospects that the Anaheim Ducks have in their system because of their poor play the last couple of years, this has more or less to do with Zegris and Drysdale and more to do with how do you manage the players coming? What's, it, what's the long-term implications of these deals? Which... I point again to 0405-1213. That's why we had lockouts. This is the business of hockey. Um, I'm very 
very curious this year what Anaheim, San Jose are going to look like. Um, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't want to bet on either one of them in, in terms of an over-under on wins, uh, but I also um, believe that the general managers who are both in their first terms, Mike Greer in, in San Jose and Pat Verbeek in Anaheim, have visions and, and are determined to get things done. I mean, look at Mike Greer grinded and grinded and grinded on that Eric Carlson deal, grinded on that deal. And I know there's lots of, you know, the beauty of, of hockey is, you know, there's no shortage of people who assign letter grades to the, uh, the deals that have been done. And I know that, you know, it wasn't a home run in a lot of, but, but Greer grinded to get that deal done with Eric Carlson. Um, one, oh, and then I mentioned Nylander. Okay. Yeah. Those are the things I wanted to do. Uh, I want to go back to the flames for a second. I found this is a little bit of an oddity yesterday um, on sports. It was, again, I was looking at, at flames news that was coming out and it was all the same, you know, it's not a knock against the reporting here. It's the same storylines. We knew what the storylines were, except one. And this one appeared on Sportsnet, courtesy of James Madge. And it's not actual original reporting because he just um, basically took a interview that Nikita Zadorov did with a very f- famous Russian YouTuber. And I, I found the story story to be spectacularly fascinating, but it really hasn't got much of a run. Um, Jack and I were talking about, he heard about it, so it's out there, but it's basically Zadorov admitting that the Russian NHL players all got together with the intent of hopefully coming up with a joint statement in protest of the war with Ukraine. Um, this, when that war broke out, um, it, it elicited a lot of emotions. Um, and I know for a fact, um, people would, you know, people connected to the Ukraine would call the Calgary Flames and ask them why they were having Russian players. Uh, we, you know, um, Ovechkin. Ovechkin is uh, persona non grata to some fans, to some media people, because of his direct connection to Putin. The fact that he shares photos of Putin on his social media, that he's, you know, been, is a confidant friend, whatever you want to say. For some, you know, Alexander Ovechkin doesn't matter anymore. Um, Zadorov, who lives in Miami in the off season, was very candid in this conversation. It, it didn't, the, the the idea of getting the Russian players together, um, there he goes. Um, so he, he did speak to the local as well, but um, so he's not, he can't go back to Russia after what he said. He knows that he's going to stay in Florida. So my apologies to suggest that nobody in Calgary was covering the story. That's not what I meant. What I meant was the story on Sportsnet was written based on the uh, YouTube interview. And in that interview, Zadorov was talking quite candidly about his frustrations with the players in the NHL, the Russian players in the NHL, not being able to come together, not being able to agree on the proper wording. Um, but it, it felt like that should have been a bigger story, that it felt like that should have got a bigger play. It felt to me like in a league which has often been criti- criticized, 
rightfully so, and has been criticized in these quarters for not standing up at the right time, not taking social issues seriously. Here you have this story that a player alluded to. Like, it's very, you know, very difficult for a player to, to live over here and not feel connected. I mean, the Russian, uh, pardon me, the flyer prospect uh, that the NHL told the contract on, um, you know, uh, he, uh, he was sent to Northern Siberia for a year, didn't play hockey for a year. Uh, there have been repercussions to athletes in Russia for, for speaking out or doing things that, that the government doesn't feel are appropriate. And Zadorov admitting yesterday that, you know, he, he can't go home. Um, you know, say what you will, uh, Miami, Moscow, Moscow, Miami. Um, we all have a home. We all came from somewhere. There's connections there. And Zadorov admits that. You know, it's frustrating for him that he won't be able to do that. I like that story. I like that it got reported. I like, like it that I saw the day, but I, I really appreciate Zadorov being as candid as he was. Um, curious to see if um, if there is a an, another shoot a drop in this, if there is more to come from this hitting the light of day that the you know the Russian NHL players were at least talking about standing up as a united front. Flames and Seattle on Sunday. Uh, Hitman open up their regular season tonight uh, at home against the Medicine Hat Tigers. The Western Hockey League season is underway. Uh, a couple of other local stories worth uh, keeping your eye on. Two o'clock tomorrow afternoon at McMahon Stadium, the Alouettes are in town. The six and seven Alouettes taking on the four and nine Calgary Stampeders. Um, I, I would leave it and defer it to Danny Austin, uh, live from the 55. He is, uh, you know, he's been very active on social. Um, it, it's, it's, and I don't know if it's the record of the Stampeders, but it's a little bit depressing this year. Uh, the, the whole issue of statistics and the fact that the CFL cannot get out of its own way in that regard is embarrassing. Uh, we continue to to watch attendance numbers, and they continue to struggle even here in Calgary, greatly. Um, just not, and 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 half of it has to do, I'm sure, with the fact that the team is struggling. I think a lot of it still has to do with this crop of Stampeders is not known in the community the way previous Stamps have been known. I don't know if there's that affinity for this particular group. Not winning and you know is is not acceptable around here. All of those things go into this. Um, Danny Austin's point is a valid one. It's it's near impossible for this team to be a playoff team this year. Uh, they have not strung two wins together, and yet to make the playoffs, they're going to have to win five in a row. Uh, a lot has to happen. Beauty of sports, and the reason I love sports, and I think the reason you love sports is any given Sunday, and in this case, you know any given Saturday. You'd like to think that anything can happen, that surprises can happen, that this team can rise up. The injuries are absolutely staggering and should be, you know, should be absolutely taken into consideration. Not only the number, the sheer number, I believe it was 16 players on injured reserve, uh, but the quality and the caliber of those players. But some would say those are excuses. Next man up. There's there's always something in the world of sport that can address the situation. And next man up. So the Stampeders play host to the Alouettes tomorrow. Uh, note the start time, 2 o'clock. 
after that game, Hamilton plays in Toronto. Usually the East plays first and then the West. Uh, two games tonight, Saskatchewan and Ottawa, BC in Edmonton. So really the path for the Stampeders would involve the Ottawa, 3-10 and 10 Ottawa Red Blacks beating the 6-7 and seven Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And then the BC Lions, who I have, I believe, have shut out the um, Eskimos. No, sorry, my bad, the Elks. The Elks. Um, two games already this year. Um, so both of those are plausible. And then I suppose Calgary beating Montreal is plausible. Uh, you'd like to see the, the team ha- at least play meaningful games, keep their hopes alive. Uh, meanwhile, in the CPL, uh, the Cavalry are on the road in York. Uh, the Cavalry, uh, 13 wins, 7 draws, 5 losses, 46 points, sit across, uh, uh, just right across the top of the table. They're 6 points better of their nearest competition. I almost say this religiously every week about them. Uh, this is incredible considering their start. Uh, this is the hottest team in sports in this nation in many ways right now uh, across any measurement. I guess the Argonauts would be the, the counter to that. Um, but Marco Carducci, they're, they're, they're tender and, and, you know, Tommy Wilden Jr., their, their manager, the veterans on this team have really got them firing on all cylinders. Um, attendance has been good. There was some attendance numbers. Uh, they're not necessarily tops and average in the league, but they're really close. And that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see people support uh, the CPL and, and support the Cavalry. We do have women's professional soccer coming next year. That bodes well. And then finally, uh, before we get to our guest here in a couple of moments, uh, over on the Major League Baseball side, somehow, some way, s- 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 the, 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 the Toronto Blue Jays are still in this. Um, it seems like every time you're not paying attention, you look up the scoreboard, they might be losing. They lost again last night in New York, 5-3 to the Yankees. They're in Tampa Bay, which has been an absolute house of horrors uh, historically for the Jays, but they're in a playoff spot. So Toronto continues to get mammoth pitching, um, but you know what we thought three or four years ago when we were having these ridiculous conversations about, you know, um, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. being a, a sure bet Hall of Famer. Do you remember that conversation? He was leading leading the league in 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 home runs and and other statistics. And we were talking about the Hall of Fame in his second or third full year in the majors. And here we are a couple years later. He's a very good ball player. He is a very good ball player, but he doesn't appear to be a generational ball player. He appears to be a very good ball player. Um, the Jays right now, um, I don't know. I got to be honest with you. I I don't. Th- I don't trust them to win a short series. Um, a lot of people in baseball point to the pitching and say they'll be okay if they make it to the postseason. I just, this team and its inability to score runs when they need it, but more importantly, the amount of uh, stranded runners this year. Um, it just, it's not a recipe for success. Not a recipe for success. We were, uh, we were really honored last week. We were out in, uh, in Vancouver and uh, hosting an event for Heroes Hockey and then the Superheroes program. And the the guest was uh, a guy that I've known for a long time, and that uh, it was Sven Berchi, and that's what's going to lead us to him joining the program today. And we, Sven and I had a, a wonderful conversation. Um, he was uh, the Flames' first pick, 13th overall back in 2011. Uh, you might have heard on this very podcast, Ryan Pike a couple of weeks ago, 
and I discussing that draft. Um, that draft was really good for Calgary. Uh, Berchi uh, in the second round was um, Marcus Granlin and Watherspoon, Tyler Watherspoon, uh, Johnny Gaudreau, and Laurent Bourgeois. Um, all of them played some measure in the National Hockey League. It, it, you know, Watherspoon, obviously the least. Granlin, not very long. Um, Berchi, I think people forget he had a, a longer career than you think. He played almost 300 games, the bulk of those in Vancouver. Um, and then Brassois continues to be a serviceable uh, backup in, in, you know, one of, one of uh, a Stanley Cup last year with Vegas. Um, just one of those oddities of a, of a draft in which almost all of your players you picked that year play in the NHL. That very rarely happens. But I remember Sven Berchi, uh specifically coming from Portland, was a, a credible point producer. Um, and it, it was, it was just a breath of fresh air and, uh, had a chance to, uh, um, spend some time getting to know him in training camp. And, and last week in, in Vancouver, I, I actually brought my notebook back from the 2011, 12 series and we season, and we went through the notes uh, from that conversation because it was really one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had with a young player. Um, you know, and, and I I've said it before and I'll say it again. Um, really disappointed with how he was handled in Calgary. Really, really disappointed how he was handled in Calgary. That's my version of it. Um, just, you know, happy that he went to Vancouver, happy that he showed that he could play uh, and be really productive in the NHL. I knew he could. I just, I've said this before, like what really pissed me off about that whole thing was they make the trade, they trade him to Vancouver and two months later, they're going, well, we have no skill on the wing. Yeah, but you had skill on the wing, didn't you? But that's the way the game is played sometimes. Indeed, a pleasure for us to bring in our next guest. Brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Two locations open right now. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Bow Ridge Road Northwest. And again, it's the same. Where do you want to buy your equipment? Where do you want to buy your stuff? You want to buy your stuff from people who use it. People who are out there. People who are snowboarding and skiing. You want people who have experience selling you the products. And that's exactly what you get at Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. A pleasure for us to welcome uh, the aforementioned Sven Berchi from his home in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Sven, yeah. how are you today? Good. You know, busy with the kids. Yeah. Is that, is that Daddy, what's... Is that what... home now, so he's, uh, he's busy. I was going to say, full-time Love dad, it. right? Loving it. Are you? It's been, uh, it's been amazing. You know, a little different. Don't have to get up and go to work right away. I can get up, feed him breakfast, get him ready to go, and for the day. And it's been a, it's been a, um, it's been a pleasure, really. When is the last time you weren't attending a major camp? Um, that was so obviously like the. The camp that I had was back in um, September, actually August or uh, late August. Um, pro camp Switzerland, Bern, uh, and that was it. You know, like I yeah, I got hurt in uh, February, and that's kind of been um, that's kind of been it. You know, um, ever since then, you know, it's it's, it's definitely a different feel. Mm -hmm. Kind of get to that. You know, you get to September, you get to August, and you kind of you get that feel like you have to get ready for for a camp, but then you don't. 
and uh, yeah, so it's been different, you know, took a couple of weeks to kind of get over that fact that you don't have to do that anymore. And then you just kind of move on and uh, do all the stuff you kind of miss out on. Was, was stepping away, was, was retiring a difficult decision for you to make? Uh, you know, I think it's been, uh, it's been a buildup. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I pretty much retired two hours before I had to fly to, uh, back to burn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, of course, yeah, it is difficult. Um, it's a weird situation. I think it, the way I kind of looked at it was, you know, a certain part of my brain just kind of turned off and cause that's all I ever knew. Right. Yep. Like I, yep. you know, all I ever knew was hockey and, um, ever since I was four and, and then you, you get to that point where you just kind of done, you know, mm-hmm. but the greatest thing is reaching out to different people, reaching out to, um, some of the guys that kind of went through similar situations and kind of talking to them and they helped me out big time, you know, some ex teammates and, um, that kind of guided me through like the next few weeks and I'm already on to the next chapter. So it kind of happened quick. So (laughs) I'm super excited what's next. And, um, um, but yeah, it's, it's different. You know, you're not a player anymore. You, uh, you become something else, really. Are you? Do you leave the game healthy? I think so. Well, you know, like I, you know, there's there's quite some. Uh, there was some injuries I was going through that kind of carried on throughout my career, and it, you know, it took a lot of maintenance to take care of that stuff, and um. I don't know if you leave the game healthy most of the time. I think it's just um, maintaining your body to be able to play and it just be kind of, to me, it became a, a door for each game. It became a lot of maintenance just to get ready for practice. It became a lot of maintenance to just be ready for a game. And and that's why I came to this to that decision. And, um, right now just kind of feel my body slowly, like recovering from, from all that, um, uh, from all these injuries and, um, yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing. I, I don't know, like, you know, you play the game for that long. I think, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna have stuff, you know, you're gonna have your injuries and stuff that can carry on for a long time, but. Right now, I'm just kind of happy with um, the way I feel, and I feel like my body's recovering pretty good. Do you do you still love the game? Love it. Good. Um, never gonna leave the game. Um, I don't think it's it's too like engraved in in me, and. Um, yeah, I'm already on to the next chapter, you know, like I'm, I'm already been working with the Winter Hawks and kind of doing some stuff there. Mike Johnson, unbelievable coach. He kind of took me in already, already working with them, just working on little details, working on little skill stuff and, and all that stuff. And um, 
so it's been I've you know I'm not gonna as a player I'm okay to leave the game but as we move forward I think um, I want to be more of a teacher mm-hmm. and that's kind of my thing right now is what I'm kind of being mentored by one of the you know greatest coaches in WHL so I'm lucky coaching or skill development i mean there's so many opportunities well, now which which is what interests you as a teacher i'm not sure i'm you know like well you got to start somewhere like you got to start at i'm lucky enough mike gave me a call and brought me in right away and it's been my first week um so i'm just getting to know some of the players i'm getting to know what's happening out there on the ice a lot of similarity like he hasn't really changed his way. Mm-hmm. So like, a lot of the things we're doing each day is, is the same. But just having the opportunity to go in and work with him and just kind of being mentored by him and see what coaches do day by day, that's my that's my biggest priority right now is just kind of getting to know what it's like to be in the coach's room, what it's like to be, you know, like studying like all the video and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so it's just kind of been, um, shadowing him, seeing what he's doing on a daily basis with the young kids and, and then stepping in after practice, working with some of the younger kids and, um, yeah, it's a, it's a different angle to the game and I'm actually enjoying it, but it's also, you know, I'm seeking advice from different people that I used to play with. You know, I, I called Brock Besser, I called Mike Camilleri that I used to play with. Cause some of the, like some of the things they do or used to do, or, you know, that stick out to me, I'm trying to figure out exactly like how they used to play the game. And, you know, Mike was so, his shot was unbelievable. So, like, I literally just reached out to him. I was like, hey, like, what is it that made your shot that much bigger than, uh, that much better than anybody else's? Yep. So, I'm like, I'm, I'm learning the game from a different angle. Your experience in the NHL and your experience working with different coaches, how much is that going to impact you? How much of that is that? form the coach that you're about to become who are you stealing from and who are you trying to avoid being i think you just kind of pick and choose right like i I think you there's there's great lessons you know and i I think for me (laughs) we've talked about this before and i think Mm -hmm. one of the things you know um bob and i never got along in calgary yep like it was just one of those things where or Maybe it, maybe we got along in like a different way, whatever. But one of the biggest things he like taught me was to always stop at the net. And I pretty much made a living stop at the net. Right. There's other things that kind of came with the whole thing, and like I don't think he was, you know, he treated me great in a in a lot of ways and all that stuff. But it those are like little things you kind of learn from and kind of help you down the line. And, um, you know, I have Bob, I have Travis who kind of brought me to Vancouver. Um, 
it's little stuff you kind of learn along the way. And like, you know, a lot of times I think as a player, it might be tough at the moment to hear some of the stuff, but I think you're also going to learn a lot from it and move on. And I, that's where I'm at right now is kind of, you know, really I didn't enjoy having Bob as a coach, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm like, well, how many goals did I score in front of that? Because I stopped. So it's an interesting thing. It's, you know, I think coaches, and that's kind of what I'm learning right now is like, it's, it can be tough love. It can be, it can be tough at times for like younger players, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of times it's just trying to help in some way. Obviously it's got to be in like a, in a good way, but right. Um, it was the same with Travis, you know, Travis kind of, you know, I think Travis was always like a, like a father figure to me. And uh, he kind of took me in and um, it was tough love, but it was in a good way. Mm-hmm. And then somehow we ended up together again. We had some great seasons together. And, um, but yeah, it was, you know, he expected a lot. And that's kind of what I'm seeing right now with, um, being in the coach's office is a lot different than the locker room. Yeah. You know, they kind of, what I noticed with Mike, you know, he, I think he, you know, there's a lot of, um, he's really trying to understand the players and how much can he give that guy? How much can he give that guy? And like, how much love do you, does that guy need and how much toughness does that mm-hmm. guy need? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's interesting to see that view, you know, from a coach's side. So it's been really interesting for me. How much, or do you pay attention to the Mike Babcock's situation or even here, you know, with the controversy that was around the Calgary flames last year, Bill Peters, the, the way that it seems like, you know, the accountability to coaching and the way that you can deal with players or should deal with players has changed. And I would say it, it, it kind of changed in your time while you were in the NHL. Did, do you see it that way? Did you, is that your feeling too, that, you know, you can't coach exactly the same way you could 10, 20, 30 years ago? I don't think you can't like, yeah, I think that's, why would you coach like that? Like, what's the point? You know, like yep. it doesn't make sense. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, to me, like to me personally, but I know, buddy, like it doesn't make sense to coach that way. Right. You know, like it, it, it just doesn't. I think what you want to do is encourage guys to do the right thing. And, you know, like I, I understand the whole toughness and all that stuff. And like you got to, but yeah, like seeing some of the stories, seeing some of that stuff, I understand hockey's a rough sport. Hockey's, you know, supposed to be played a certain way and all that, but <laughs> doesn't make sense. It does there's no it's not necessary to do some of this stuff. Like really not. There's different ways you can do it. Um but like I said again, like I'm nobody I'm not 
I'm not Mike Babcock and you know, like I'm it doesn't make sense, you know. Especially like for it's it's a different it's a different vibe now and I can tell mm-hmm. you know, being in the locker room now. But it never made sense before either. You know, like I, I you know, I play with some of the toughest people. You know, Brian McGratton, Gillies, absolute machines and beasts. and But it never made sense for some of the stuff that was happening around right. locker rooms. Yeah. Or behind closed doors and within the game. And it, it just, yeah, I don't know. I did. I, once I saw it, I kind of was like, I was actually surprised because, you know, obviously like on the outside, you kind of see like the news and all that, but what's happening behind closed doors is kind of, you don't really hear about it mm-hmm. until you do. And then you kind of like, not really smart. I don't think. Yeah. And, and the reason for the question is because if somebody's about to embark on a coaching, you know, journey of your own, these are new it's a new world like i think it's i think it's becoming a new world right i think so and i I think well you know you look at uh cooper in uh tampa yep he you know he kind of went in was like when they won the when they won the second cup he was like well i didn't really do that much i just always encouraged the guys right that was his biggest thing um but it it, it it is an intro like it why wouldn't it make sense for guys to be incur- like like understand like tough love and you got to push guys understand that part but there's always going to be that part where each player is different mm-hmm. and I think you, that's kind of what I'm learning right now is where some guys need to be pushed harder other guys you know like you have to have a feel for, for each guy. And um, I think the biggest thing, you know, like working with Mike right now is learning how to deal with each player and what to, how to get the best out of your team. And I think a lot of times it's got to be some firmness there, but I think there's got to be some, some love as well. And some, you know, um, guidance and help helpfulness and that's kind of what i'm learning right now but i've also learned a ton through you know bob which ended up helping me down the road so i'm I'm trying to kind of brainstorm and kind of get some of the stuff out of each coach that i had and um that's kind of what's happening in my head right now and yeah you kind of open up a whole um, can of worms in my head right now, to be honest. <laughs> well, that well, kind of what I'm hoping to do. Um, yeah. Let me let me come at it from a completely different way, and, and this is not your issue. This is my issue. I have been. Uh, we are lucky in this city. We had Carla McLeod coaching the University of Calgary Dinos, and she also coached Team Chechia. And, and TSN and the world allowed us to watch her coach. And her methodology and what we saw was incredible. And I just was asking the question, 
you know, are we ready now for, you know, can we finally just have a woman coach a hockey team, like a men's hockey team? And what we've learned is we're willing to give second chances to guys who've had reputations, but Carla's got to prove that she can coach men. As a player, were you, are you ready? Could you have played for a, a woman on the bench? Oh, sure. I mean, it doesn't really, like, at the end of the day, it's kind of like the, you want to trust whoever's behind the bench. You want to trust the, the knowledge, and it doesn't really matter what, who that person is. Right. You know? But when you get into a locker room, you kind of, as a player, you kind of want to have that feel and you sit there, you want to have that feel of they know exactly what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's yep. the biggest thing. And it does like it, at that point it doesn't really matter like who is who's standing there, but like it there's gotta be a trust between coaches and the player, you know, and so whoever can teach you the best and guide you along the best. At that point, like it really doesn't matter who it is, right? You know? But like you have, you have that sense when you sit there, and let's say before a game or whatever, you have that sense that the person ahead of you, that's standing there and like talking to you through a pre-scout or whatever. Once you have that feel that, okay, they know what they're talking about. And to guide you in the right direction to get a win. That's only thing that matters. Right. Right. Like nothing else really. Like then nothing else. And I think I mean there's so many amazing um coaches out there that never have that chance to get onto like the next level or whatever and um it's you know, it's like, uh, I think too, like the, you know, there's so many good women out there that play amazing hockey, move on to the next chapter. And I think it, it it's, it's slowly coming. Yep. Getting more women involved in hockey and like, you know, it's, it's, it's got to move forward, I think. And it, it like at the end of the day, like to me, I think it doesn't really matter who it is that's standing in front of you as long as there's an authority and knowledge and then you're going to learn and you're going to become a better player. And, um, yeah. I mentioned before you got on that, uh, last week when we were in Vancouver, I brought in my notebook and I was going back to a, one of our first conversations at, at flames camp with you. And I want to revisit part of that conversation because I never got to ask you the complete question last week. When I talked to you as an 18-year-old, it was an interesting time because Mark Streit had just been named a captain in the NHL. Nino Niederreiter, who you played with, was making a splash. Swiss hockey was a thing. It was really coming on. You just played in Bern last year. What did you notice when you went home? What did you notice about the game in Switzerland? How had it grown or how it – or did it change? It's a – yeah, it's – the way I look – well, obviously you got the big guys. So, you like, you, you know, we had – a few feet and the ice actually becomes a lot bigger each way Olympic ice. Um, it's, it's really a North American game on the big ice, which 
is um, sometimes kind of hard to explain because I think guys play hard. It's a physical game, um, but there's it's hard for you know for defensemen and stuff to kind of keep that uh, to play hard mm-hmm. as guys get a little more room. Um, the team I played on, we had a, a um, strong team, a, a fast team, and we sort of played the North American way for most of the year. Um, but what I've seen is, you know, there's tons of guys over there that are unbelievable hockey players, really skilled hockey players, fast hockey players. Um, a lot of skill. Um a fun game to play. You obviously, you know, you got a couple more seconds when you're out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, f- for me, I, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. You know, for me, it was always the goal to go back and play at home. And, um, but yeah, it was definitely different than, and I, for me personally, I kind of thought it was going to be easier than it was going to be. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Like really, my goal was to go home and be in front of my family and give me, give me a year of fun and have them at each game. So that was that was my biggest goal. And we had a good team, just didn't make it quite all the way to where we wanted to go. But um, yeah, travel was easy. You know, like we didn't we didn't really have to travel that far and. Um, the central Switzerland, so simple travel was good. Uh, got to see most of Switzerland, and then yeah, um, but it was really for my family, yeah. I think that was the biggest thing just grind out a year and be home with the family. I, I'm old enough to remember, you know, when Switzerland and Germany seemed to be the team that was always switching you know, from A pool down to B pool and back regulation and, or regulated and all that. Am I, what's the expectation for hockey in Switzerland internationally? I mean, is the expectation at the world championships at the Olympics, is it, it's to compete now, right? Like, is, yeah. do they feel that way? I think so. Well, ever since they got the, uh, the silver. Yeah. Um, ever since then it has become, well, it's, you know, it's different. Like, you know, like you, you, you're talking Olympics and then you're talking like world championships. Yeah. Two different things, right? Like right. You That's can true. Have a team Canada, team USA, but everybody missing pretty much. Um, but each year, I think I, it's been, um, I think a lot of the teams in Europe, um, you know, you look at Finland, you look at Sweden, you look at Switzerland, It's it's become really, competitive at the top away from Canada and the U S you know, in that way. But again, it's different. It's a world championships. It's not Olympics, uh, with a fully stacked team, you know, it's a, it's a different story, but, um, those are big events, big moments for team Switzerland going in each year. And, um, what I've seen, like the, past 10 years the development that's been going on and like some of the players that 
like I said, when I first broke into the league, there was like nobody. Yeah. You know, there yep. was no there's no Swiss representation throughout the league and then all of a sudden like this. You got I was talking to Travis Green, who uh devil's assistant coach now. He's he told me he's like, Oh, we got four Swiss guys on our team. <laughs> and that's kind of what it was like for me when I was in Calgary. Yeah. You know, we had Jonas Hill, like we had you know, we had a full Swiss team and then Vancouver, uh, Yannick Weber, Lucas Biza, and like it's you know so that's that's the coolest part I think is that the guys make a step in Switzerland, they play well there and juniors get drafted, make it over here, and then they kind of spread throughout the league. And that's the biggest thing. So like I don't know what it is right now, but it's going to be at least 12, 13 guys in the league. Yeah. So I'm super proud of that. And like, and impact uh, guys. Yeah. Big right? time with uh, um, Timo signed in uh, Jersey. And, you know, you got Captain Nico Heischer. That's awesome to see. You right. know, it's, it all started with Mark Strait and, um, kind of moved on to Lucas Bees and Nino and then I kind of broke into the league and that's awesome to see and I think that it speaks for Swiss hockey 222 games 110 points tell me about your time as a Canuck what do you what did you take away what did you enjoy about being in Vancouver lots of stuff I, I mean you know awesome place to live really love living there um team was good i think we just kind of um we were you know we had um we were developing and we're just getting going and uh we you know kind of in that rebuild situation but we're young you know we're um skilled and we had a good team you know i think there was a lot more possible than we did um but yeah best part was you know living there and, and enjoying the time there i think you know it's an absolute beautiful city mm -hmm. um but yeah i had my best years there you know i, I really enjoyed playing there and not great teammates great great line mates and um yeah you know like a I know we missed the playoffs pretty much every year, but still loved it. It was a great place to play. It was fun to play there. And, um, yeah, I wish we would have had more success, but that is what it is. You know, like they, you know, they had some success after once I left, but, um, it was a lot more possible, I think. 13th overall first round pick 2011 you go to the calgary flames um it's funny when i promoted that you were coming on immediately we got oh i remember the <laughs> the kid and the 18 year old um and you and i talked about this last week but i do want to revisit a little bit um tell me about coming to calgary tell me about your first pro training camp um what it was like and and you know what it meant to you to be at an nhl training camp Well, I don't, 
don't really know how to explain that because it's um it was never supposed to happen. Mhm. It was Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/host. One of those weird, you know. I mean, I took a risk coming over to Portland um and I just kind of hoped and guessed and let's see how it goes, kind of trust my agent and uh you'll be fine. It's going to be good. Um you didn't speak English when you came over, right? I did not. Yeah. I did not. Um So when I went to Portland, I didn't speak English and I kind of just took a, a gamble on, you know, um how it's going to go like the next few years and I just kind of trusted people around me and they encouraged me to go and um but then yeah, then I had I found success in Portland and then um it, 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 I think it kind of turned from a dream into like reality within like the half first half year, where all of a sudden you know like you see you, yourself on like the mock drafts and all that stuff and like you expected to go first round and and then you kind of um, it becomes reality. And then you go to the combine, you get drafted, and all of a sudden you get your first NHL camp, and you kind of, yeah, you know, it becomes a dream. And then, like, you sit next to certain people, you practice next to people you never thought you are going to practice with and then play with. And um, it was, yeah, it was definitely an interesting uh, experience and something I never thought of was going to happen. But then it did, and uh, great support um, within the team throughout camp. You know, because it, it doesn't mean much, like, being a first-round pick, really. Nope. Uh, you got to – there's so much more to it. Um, 
you know, you, you, you're talking to guys like Jerome again, like you're talking to, it's, they established themselves and then you just kind of come in with like nothing really. And so they kind of guide you along and like the guys in Calgary back then, they did an awesome job, loved them. They just kind of help you along. And, you know, let's talking about Mike Camilleri. Like he, you know, used to drive me around and help me out with everything I needed kind of early on when I got there. And that's kind of the environment that Brent back then kind of built. Um, and I loved it, you know, but it was obviously you're nervous. Obviously you're, you're going through all that stuff, but at the same time, you want to come in and show yourself and make a statement, make sure you're um, showing yourself off. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, personally, I love that. Um, but obviously you get some nerves, you're, you know, you're a young kid with playing with men. So, um, but yeah, I, yeah, loved it. Let's talk about what happened in that first season, which was you qualified to be an emergency recall because of the injury situation in Calgary. And, um, certainly I don't think it was anything that was on your radar, but you ended up playing in five games that year. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, ended up being um, a phone call. We were, I think, we were in Kamloops, and there was a phone call at like six in the morning. Um, and I uh, had to go to the rink, and I thought I was traded. And then um, they were like, "Well, you got to go. You got to catch a plane. You're going to be playing against Winnipeg." And it was the first time for um, Winnipeg to be back in Calgary back then. Yep. And, um, yeah, they, you know, sent me on a plane and I went there and I was, of course, nervous, sat next to Jerome. Um, he kind of calmed me down, kind of, I still <laughs> about the whole game, <laughs> um, went in the first shift and it was, yeah, it was awesome. You know, it was a great experience. Um, thought I was just going to go in for one game. Ended up staying for five. Scored in my second game in Minnesota where I got drafted. Mm -hmm. So that was a great experience. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that goal, though. And then I went <laughs> two in a row after that. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was weird because it, it was kind of like a the dream come true and then also got sent back right away after because they got sure. some back so it was kind of like a, a the first kind of memory of playing in the nhl and then going back to like reality you yep. know yeah because i i knew i knew then i wasn't like an nhl player i was you know lucky in some ways and i kind of just went along with the whole thing and i was playing on just purely adrenaline and then uh yeah, I went back and kind of reality kicked back in and I was back with the Hawks and finished off that year pretty good. Tell, tell me about that first goal in Minnesota. It was, yeah. I mean, it was one of those things like, a, you know, um, it was fairly like a simple 
goal, but like it, it's one of those things you're always going to remember. And uh, this is shot from the point. Um, Derek Smith took a wrist shot. I was in front of the net, tipped it, went off the goalie's pads, and then the puck just kind of laid there. And I looked at the puck and it had the NHL logo on it. And then it all went um, slow motion. I looked down and <laughs> had an empty net to shoot at, pretty much. And in my head, I remember in my head, it was just like, this is it. And it was like that. That was like the it moment. Sure. Welcome to the league, you know. And, uh, yeah, you know, like the, the biggest thing is the the excitement from your teammates when you score your first goal. It's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Because they know, you know, like they're, they're right there with you. And then you score and it's just kind of, it's that moment you wait for like your whole life. You know, yep. so yeah, that was awesome. Um, how much did that impact ne- the next year? Was th- was it helpful or was it a hindrance that you had those five games? It's a great question. I think that's something I got to kind of study and look at. Like, I, I, you know, like. Expectations were high, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know that. And I think, uh, you know, people kind of <laughs> expected me to come in and be like putting up 30. and But unless you're top one in the world, like you're not going to do that when you come in at 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Like that's kind of, there's some guys that can do it. Oops. Oops. Looks like his connection just dropped completely. All right. <laughs> All right. Speaking of things, today is just one of those days where everything seems to go wrong. I don't know what I have done to you, but I've done something. And well, and I I just I keep looking and I'm turning something off and then you fix it and then something else gets turned off and you fix it. And um I I, I will apologize to everybody right now. Um, you know. We believe that the issue and the sound was on his end, but he was on a roll. And I just, after going through what we went through with Brett, I just didn't want to stop it. Uh, I'm hoping everybody's like me and can deal with a little bit of crackling to hear some, he was, he's just so good. Like he is just so good. You want to text him? And just, yeah, I'll send him. All right. I'll here. let him know. Get him another link. No, it's all good. It's a good time to remind you that all of our guests are brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years, believe it or not, 76 years in Calgary and area. Two locations. Now there's four normally. Two locations open right now. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center and Bow Ridge Road Northwest um, as well. They're, the other two will open up here in the next little while. Um, beautiful weather this weekend, yes, but snow is coming and if you've seen pictures from the high altitudes up in the mountains there's snow falling so it won't be that long before snowboarding and skiing and snow skating don't forget about snow skating you can check that out as well um those things are coming um <clears throat> so hopefully we'll get our guests back but it's just a good time for us to remind 
um, our friends at Ski Seller Snowboard that they're a huge part of what we do each and every day. Um, I'll wait for your cue because not yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, I see him. Should we try it? Yeah. All right. Sven, hopefully we've got you back here. Can you hear us? I'm here. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Perfect. No, no, it's no problem. Okay. Uh, I'll just reset the question. And that was, did the five games in your first year impact you the next year in a good or a bad way? Um, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have an answer for that. I think, um, obviously like expectations and stuff were mm -hmm. high when I came back and, um, probably looking back was not great for me <laughs> to score those goals. Um, because obviously you come in afterwards and, you know, like he's supposed to be the, the go-to guy yep. year after. And uh, it never kind of worked out that way for me. But also there's so many different things that changed and happened within like the organization and like absolutely was going to be next. And, yep. and um, so I don't know. You know, like it, it's one of those things where looking back, I look, I look back at it and, you know, it was not great. Not a good, um, even though I loved it, you know, mm -hmm. it's one of those things like I loved and enjoyed and, but setting me up, like I kind of set myself up for, you know, a 30, 40 goal year because that's kind of the expectations people have right yep. like it's, yep even though it, 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 like i said before you know like at that point i was not like an nhl player i didn't know how to play the game mm -hmm. i just kind of came along and the biggest thing was you know brent sutter before the first game, pretty much just telling me like, Hey, let's go have fun. Right. But there's so much more to the game where like, uh, you know, I wasn't playing well defensively. I wasn't doing like some of the details guys are doing each game. I just was lucky enough to get the puck on my stick a few times and score. But then the, that's kind of like the expectation. But then, you know, you, you come to camp the next year and it's, it's, there's so much more to the game. So I, I don't know if it was a good thing or about, like, I, I, I really don't have an answer for that right mm -hmm. now. Oh, yeah. Um, but tell you what, loved it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I get that part. Let me, let me run another theory by you. And I, and I, I'm not saying I'm culpable, but I'm wondering about my peer group because for a long time there, the flames just never had great draft picks and never had impact young players. And every, it seemed like everybody else had impact players. And there was you, Mike, Michael Backlund, you, it just seemed like we, you know, we were almost wishing and hoping 
to cover young players having success like other teams were having. Did you feel that there was a lot of pressure coming back in that second season from the media and the fans to, to kind of be like other young players were at other places in the league, which is somewhat unfair because their first are overall picks and stuff, right? Yeah, I was in like you're like you get viewed a little different just because you're you know you get the tag on your back and you're like you're a first round pick. Yep. Right. So in some ways, of course, you get a little bit more opportunity. And at the time, I broke in with the with the Flames. It was it was kind of like a um, there was a turnaround happening mm-hmm. there. And I think, like, I loved it. And I, I think, you know, some of the players that came in, they brought some great veteran guys in um, to help us out in many ways. But, you know, me and Bax, like, we've spent a lot of time together and we kind of um, were in the same boat in a lot of ways. Um yeah, the, but, but you also can sense the the feel of okay, like this uh, this team is moving in like the right direction, mm-hmm. I think, and uh, yeah, so like me and him, TJ Brody was there. Um, there was definitely like a big difference between like rookies or younger players and then you know yeah. guys yeah but we were trending in like the right direction back then um going into like the second year and um yeah we had a i thought we had a great team all played together well um you know the, i think the the room was great and uh yeah Thought we had some decent success, but um, I think that year, my second year, I don't think we made the playoffs. I'm trying to think back. Um, no, not uh, not in uh, yeah, not in thirteen fourteen. Yeah, but it was definitely you know different going in, you know, playing with. Um, and I think Sean Monty was drafted that year, and yep. Um, playing with him and Hoodler. I thought I had some, you know, good success with them. And I think, you know, playing with Sean, I think he was um, one of the funnest players I've played with, really. What made, what made him fun? Well, the guy can barely skate, but he can shoot. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, it was fun though. We had a we had a great group there. Sure, um, could have had more success, I think. Um, yeah, I think that year is going through some injuries and stuff as well. And um, but yeah, we it was interesting because they kind of going into Calgary and we're kind of in that um, regroup situation there, and then also. Once I got traded to Calgary, uh, Vancouver, it was the same thing kind of there. Like they kind of had, they were in the swing of things, kind of getting new players in. And so I never really experienced like the full um, winning mentality, really, in some ways, you know, just trying to make it to the playoffs, both with uh, Calgary and 
Vancouver. You had, I'll skip ahead and come back for a second. Just on that note, you did get in a game with Vegas. You were in their system. Did you notice a difference around in that regard? Because that's an organization that just won that, that right from day one was in a Stanley Cup final. Was it was a different experience in that organization? Uh, interesting. Um, that's actually our question. Um, there was some some sense of they just know they're great. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I noticed in Vegas uh, in general, you know, like the, not, not just um, the Knights, but also the, you know, Henderson. Mm-hmm. Like, in both ways, it's like there's a certain standard there where it's almost based, you know, it's because they made it to the cup right away. It was like the mentality of, okay, we're going to win this thing next four years, five yep. years, whatever. Yep. And um, a certain standard, a certain... Uh, I don't know. It just kind of felt right, you know, like mm-hmm. the like the year before, before they won the cup. When I played one game, there's no you can sense it like in the room. There's no doubt. Hmm. Either we're gonna win this this year or next year. Right, an inevitability. They just was were destined. Certain, there was a certain vibe there. Yep, and. <laughs> That's all I can really say. Like, it, it just felt, and not, like, as soon as they went into the season this year, when I was in Switzerland, I was like, gosh, like, they're just too good. Yeah. And they know they're good. Yeah. And each game was, if they lost, didn't matter. Yeah. Because they knew they were good. Going into the next game, they're going to win. And that's kind of what it felt like. When I watched the games uh, in the final, Florida, you know, like, <laughs> didn't have a chance. No, no, no. I mean, the, you know, game, was it game six or game five? You know, that's it. That's kind of like the mentality I always had in Vegas. And that's kind of what I saw there. And yeah, interesting. You know, like they, mm-hmm. they knew they were going to win. They knew they had a good team, but it's just you felt it in the room, you know. Double back to the Calgary. Uh, just one last one on Calgary. And I've always wanted to ask you this, and I think you've established, you know, the relationship with Bob Hartley. I, you know, not I don't have a role in this other than I was really deeply disappointed this happened. Uh, the trade to Vancouver, was that disappointing for you or was that a new lease on life for you? No, I was happy. I was really okay. happy with that. And I think, you know, um, like I, I was talking before about like tough love and all that. Like I understand that being part of hockey and like you got to be rough, you know, or not rough, but tough for your players and all that. But at the end of the day, like it, it was, it was like too much for me to handle at yep. that time. And it was, 
like I said before, though, there's many things I learned from him. But I also got, you know, kind of beaten up in a lot of ways mentally by him. And it's one of those things that kind of look back and like I learned a lot from him. But he was also not, I don't think he had a good feel for what I was like as a player. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking back at that time and in Calgary, like where was it, it? It was probably too much for me to handle. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like I, I don't know. You know, like it's one of those weird things where so much I learned from him, but God, like he, you know, he beat me up pretty good, like mentally, and I had a rough time with it. In the long run, like, is that going to help me or not? It's kind of like trying to figure that out. It's going to take a while, you know, like, mm -hmm. there's definitely some lessons in there, some good stuff. Um, but, I mean, guys would kind of look at me at, at times, be like, how much can he handle? How much more can he... Um, go through with him because i think you know like i'm i'm a swiss person i'm a sensitive guy i'm kind of i'm not that rough and tough that's who i am and uh, i think he just kind of had that idea where he was gonna teach me some lessons and like let me know um but then also he taught me like some of the best stuff that i've learned and uh you know, he's had success everywhere he's went. But also it was tough. There was yeah. some, uh, there was a lot of tears, a lot of um, emotions, a lot of um, tough nights, no sleep. Um, yeah. But really, there's some good, some bad, some ugly. And that's kind of <laughs> the way I kind of look back at it. Um, yeah, but we didn't have that many great conversations really. Yeah. Let's, um, let's, let's end on something more positive and that's yeah. a connection that you and I share, uh, through heroes hockey. Tell me about Kevin Hodgson and meeting Kevin for the first time. How did that all happen? Well, Kev, uh, well, I went to rookie camp in July, um, my first camp in the NHL. <laughs> the funny part was, so I went to camp and it was one of those things because I was training in Switzerland. There's no ice throughout the summer, right? So I go to camp and um, so I go on the first practice and all these guys are flying around me and I'm supposed to be like the first round pick, right? So I'm supposed to be like the best player out there, kind of. And... Um, well, I'm not doing that well. Barely skate. Didn't skate all summer. And um, so, like, in my head, I'm like, well, i got to stay out. 
you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta skate. I gotta do some work afterwards and uh, make sure I'm ready for the next day. Uh, Craig Conroy, um, <laughs> he was like, um, first practice, he was like, "What's going on with you?" And I told him, I said, "Well, I haven't skated." He's like, "The hell you mean you haven't skated?" I'm like, "There's no ice in Switzerland, like in the summer." <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, I made the decision. I'm like, I'm just going to stay out in the ice and skate and do my own stuff and, like, after practice or whatever. So I get out, and um, Sam Boney driver is kind of at the door, like, hey, like, can you pull this guy off? And I see I see Kev over there, and he's just kind of at the bench, like, kind of gave me that, can you get off? And, uh, yeah, I went on for like half an hour, 45 minutes just by myself and they didn't pull me off. They didn't do anything. I think Craig was talking to the Samboni drivers, like, just let him skate. Like he hasn't, you know, like, so let him know. And Kevin's just on the bench, just like, Hey, like, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, like we got to get this guy off. We got to get him off. And yeah. So it's just every day I would just stay out there because I have to catch up on some of the skating um, stuff and skill stuff that I wasn't able to do in Switzerland because obviously didn't have ice. So every day, you know, for a week and a half, uh, Kev was standing at the bench and let me know. It's like, you know, time to get off, time to get off, time to get off. And I would just stay and stay and stay and, um yeah um that's kind of how we started our relationship and i think i've always had great relationship you know relationships with um people that work for the team people that work you know do the long hours and i know how hard it is to for training camp and all that stuff so like always make sure that I would chat with him, you know, hang out with him, have a good conversation with him. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, like you, you meet each other twice in life and, uh, he's been a great inspiration for me. And, um, I was a pain in the butt for him at the beginning, but now we're great friends and, um, we're helping out each other right now. So. It's great. You are indeed. Uh, listen, last week it was so awesome to see you and your family. Um, so awesome to talk to you again today. Thank you for doing this. Uh, you know, I've always been your biggest fan. I just, I think you're a great human being and a hell of a hockey player. So good luck. I hope we can stay in touch. I, I, I'm fascinated to see where the coaching takes you. Uh, and my other piece of advice is continue to hit them long and straight down the fairway. I'm, I'm going in about an hour. Are you? Okay. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Sven, thanks for doing this, pal. No, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, thanks for everything you do. And uh, always happy to chat with you. So whatever you need, I got All right. you. Gotcha. Okay. Love you too, brother. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk soon. You too. Sven Berchi. Our guest uh, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Two locations open right now. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, Bow Ridge Northwest. Um, I know Jack and I 
we talked about it. I apologize for the audio quality. We believe it was on the other end. We don't know. Um, but it's certainly, uh, I apologize to Jack for this because that was a hell of an interview. And I know for some people it's going to drive them nuts because of the crackling, but I hope if, if you can just bear with it, it was worth it. I'll, uh, I'll re-upload it. I'll try and fix some of the audio issues and re-upload it. So we'll some, see what we some good stuff in there. Yeah, it was really, really good. Really good stuff. I love that. Um, you want to get to some comments? Yeah, we do have some comments. Or questions or whatever. Um, okay. First one here, we'll start with some Canadian football. So there's news that the USFL and the XFL might merge. Correct. Do you think the CFL kind of goes back and revisits that conversation or no? Oh, I think that I think that ship sailed. I think the opportunity was there. Um, and I know that there's, you can call it protectionism, you can call it xenophobia, you can call it whatever you want. Um, there's an old guard. And then unfortunately, there's just not a big enough new guard. And, um, you know, Dwayne Johnson has a connection to this league. Uh, I think he was genuine in the, the conversations, but I found it really disappointing um, that when this happened, I think it was two years ago, that it was shouted down by all quarters. And 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 again, without knowing what was being done, um, I don't think two spring leagues, and I think there's another spring league, is there not? Is, is, I, I can't keep track. but I think this year it was just the XFL and the USFL. Okay, so it's just those two spring leagues. It only makes sense. Um, you know, football's never had the true uh, minor league system. It, it doesn't really need it with college. So having them merge, no. I, I, I f- Failing a, a major collapse of the CFL and it going away and then ex- them expanding into CFL markets, no, I don't think so. Um, can you explain how you and Sven became so close? So Sven, um, I actually am going to, um, but I'll, I'll jump a little bit ahead. Um, Sven was at the, I was at the draft, um, in 2011 in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul and, um, you know, got to know him. We interviewed him. We had him on the radio. Uh, but he's a different guy. Like he, um, he remembers you. He, he care, he cares about you the wrong way, but he, he took an interest and, and then he came to, rookie camp and and i remember going to rookie camp and i think and well johnny was there and mitch wall was there there was all kinds of things and and you know again sven kind of remember it was only a little bit a month before and he oh i remember you from the draft and then um training camp came about and that was my first year on television and i i started keeping books so I would take, I was so used to taking uh, recordings and for the radio and everything was recording. So I started, I taught myself to take versions of shorthand. So I took notes everywhere and here it is. Um, I just remember sitting with him in the hallway um, and talking to him one-on-one for about 15 minutes. And he was offering up stuff. Pavo Burry was his favorite player growing up. Um, you know, he talked about wanting to play in the Olympics, um, his brother and father played, but he lived with his mother. So he was from a single family and, um, he then, you know, went back to Portland and it was my first year on Sportsnet and it was, you know, it was Brent's last year here. And I, I really like Brent and I like the coaching staff, but the team was, you know, just kind of perennial behind the eight ball, always kind of on the outside looking in. 
And then they got into all these injuries and Sven came up and he scored three goals in a row. And I remember the, the, there was a little bit of made up controversy about how the flames recalled him. Cause you're not really supposed to recall 18 year olds, but under emergency circumstances you can. And he scored in three straight games. And it's kind of what I talked about with him, Jack. Um, at that time, flames just did not have a lot of prospects, just did not have a lot of success. They had Michael Backlund, not much else. Uh, TJ Brody, not much else. Uh, and then here was this, and, and you know, you're always hearing about it, right? Like there was always articles written about how badly they drafted and you're always, you know, how they didn't develop young players and they didn't draft skill. And, and I hate to say this, but like, you know, everybody always brings up Matt Pellick. Like they, they selected Matt Pellick in the first round and who was Matt Pellick and why. And, uh, you know, Michael Backlund was this, you know, seen as this, you know, this pick that, might turn into something. And then Sven Berchi got there and he scored in three straight games. And, and I think people got really excited about it. And I, it was something for me, like, I, you know, not that I'm anything, but you know, you get connected to certain things. And to me, I look back at, you know, the highlights of my television career really are um, my first ever game on flames pay-per-view was in Nashville and Jerome scored a hat trick to win at five, three uh, Sven, um, spends three goals in, in three games. And I would have to say Mika Kiprasov's, um, you know, final game against Anaheim at home. Uh, those were it. Um, those were lean times though, you know? Uh, so f- for me, we always kept in touch, but Kevin Hodgson, who I brought up is the executive director of heroes. Sven, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more of this in a bit, but Sven was a day one adopter of heroes and, and, here in Calgary and then went to Vancouver and did it in Vancouver. So, um, you know, through Kevin and through heroes, we've always stayed in. And I, I just, you're not supposed to, like you're supposed to be devoid of, you know, a mo. And I, I, I would say Backlin, Conroy, Berchi, um, Leland Irving, there was a handful of guys that I just migrated to, um, you know, and, and, in the, in the case of a couple of those guys, we've, we've just always kind of stayed in contact. So hopefully that answers the question. Do you think there's too much pressure on young players coming into the league to play right away and make an impact, whether it's the NHL, NFL, all professional sports? Yeah, I do. Um, Eric Nystrom was always a good guy to talk to. Eric Nystrom was a, a former first round pick, but I believe under Craig Button's regime. And, and it seemed to take forever for, for Craig or for uh, Eric to, to get to the NHL. And, and we would have those conversations and it becomes an anchor. Like it really becomes hard. Oh, a first round bust, or you were selected in the top five or, you know, uh, analytics has really done this amazing job of, of making all of these tiers and all of these little segments well if you're you know you got x amount of percentages if you come out of here you got x amount of percentage so um yeah i i i think especially with the new and it's it's all financial uh it is far cheaper to have young players on your roster far more economical to have young players on your roster you look at the nfl um you know they've changed it a little bit but you know those you're looking to hopefully have early success with a quarterback because you know, he, if you have success with him, you're going to have to pay him. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. The NBA is the same thing. Uh, and I, as a result, I, I, I think we miss more 
I, I don't think Sven Berchi was developed correctly. Um, and that's why I asked the question if the five goal or the five games and the three goals hurt his development, because I think they did. Cause I think guys like me were, he's coming to camp. He scored three goals last year. He's a 19 year old this year for sure. And part of that was because Calgary just never happened. You know, it happened in the eighties with new and and, you know, flurry and Vernon and there were all these guys, but you know, so rarely were, you know, all due respect. And again, another favorite of mine is David Moss, but you know, David Moss was a late round pick that, kind of came up in the middle of a season and you know and I hate to say this but became the are you a 20 goal scorer did you score 20 goals because David Moss scored 20 goals right um yeah I think we rush I think we spend way too much rushing time rushing and I I've said this recently like what a complete disaster I was at 18 as a human being, I was in a trade school at 18 and I was a disaster. I can't imagine money and, you know, and the, the, the road and, 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 you know, celebrityism and all that stuff. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's overwhelming. I, I think, uh, and I'm guilty of it too. Like get like Dustin Wolf, right? Dustin Wolf's been a pro for what, two years. And, and here we're all like, my God, they haven't traded Vladar yet. Um, but, you know, if he doesn't play, if he's in the American Hockey League, I'll probably, I'll, my lip will fall down and, oh, this is terrible. Right? What do you make of Rizitska skating in the top six here at the start of camp? I like it from this standpoint. That's where you should be, kid. That's where you should be. He came up last year. First 10 games were good. Produced points. And then just never to be heard from again. Didn't get off the bench. Didn't earn the coach's favor. It's early in camp. We do not need to see what the lines are going to look like in November, in September. Put him in that position. It's a teaching thing. It's a coaching thing. If you say, Adam, you are playing with this. You're playing with Kadri and Dubé, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's where we think you should be. It's up to you to stay there, right? Um, what I hate is, I got to be, not hate's the wrong word. I don't like Pelche with Rooney and, and Walker Dewar because that's not where he projects to be. But if not him, then who, right? I suppose Rizichka. I suppose that's where you swap it out. You'd have to move sides too, wouldn't you? On that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you know, maybe the messaging to Pelche is, you know, that's <laughs> what we're talking about, Sven Berchi. Sure, you played last year, but this is where you're going to start, elevate your game. And for Ruzicka, who, when he was drafted, it was flashes. It was lax consistency. Tools, but lacks consistency. When I saw him in the American Hockey League, I always thought he was the product of Matt Phillips. I thought Matt Phillips made Ruzicka, and Ruzicka's numbers were incredible, and they were great. He proved to me last year, at least again in a flash, but not consistently that he can play at this level. This is where we think you should be. Prove to us you can stay here. That's my interpretation of that move. Last one. It is a prediction question, though. Yeah! Oh, no! But okay. So, Jack, the prediction will be the opposite of what I say. <laughs> okay. That's how we're going to go on this. Okay. So, yeah, we, like you mentioned, Rooney was kind of skating in that fourth line role so people are, are speculating is Coronado going to be on the opening night roster uh I still think he is I still think he is I think um 
you only have X amount of spots, I think, um, you know, there, there is something to be said about a kid like Coronado having to earn it. But Rob, you just said they put Rizic. Yeah, but Rizic is getting that point about, you know, either he's a player or he's not a player, right? So you treat them differently. Um, I, I still, I laugh my ass off after that game. We did the show on Monday and I go home and in my timeline, um, is it Robert Munich that works? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, disappointed in, in Coronado. I expected to see more. And then the next one that came up on my timeline, Eric Francis, they've got to be happy with Coronado's play. He had, you know, one goal or four. It's like, all right, it's, it's who and what you are. No, I, I still believe I, oh boy. So no, he won't make the opening <laughs> roster is how I'll approach that. But yeah, I think he will be. I think he will be. I think so as well. All right. All right. We're That's done. It. Thanks buddy. Uh, and again, our apologies for the audio issues. Um, it was a great interview. And I, I, I want to end today the, the final mile here. Um, and I, this really goes back to that question. Why, why do you like, um, or why are you and Sven? So I mentioned um, that that Sven worked with Heroes Hockey, and he was with Heroes Hockey in Vancouver. And in 2017, um, he was skating a lot with coming down to practice, and he got to know a young a young man named Kane. And Kane didn't really kind of fit in with the main the group, but. Sven latched onto him and kind of took him under his wing. And, and as a hero's hockey player, um, you know, he recognized something in him and they had a bond in, in 2017, Kane became very sick and went into the hospital in Vancouver. And he went, he was in a coma for three and a half months. And in those three and a half months, his mom, Mark, who was the head coach of superheroes out there, and Doobie, who's another coach, was those were the only three people. They took shifts, twenty-four, you know, shifts so that twenty-four hours somebody was there. Um, he was in, Sven was asking about him all the time. How's he doing? How's he doing? Um, three and a half months in, they had to make a very difficult decision with. Um, Kane, it was, do they continue to keep him in a coma or, and have things start to shut down or do they take him off the medication and let him come out of the coma? You know, was it damaged? There was no right decision, but the decision was made to wake him up. They woke him up and they put him in, he, he put him, put him, but he was transferred to six kids, sick kids. And Sven called and said, you know, can I come down and see him? And Mark said, yeah. So Sven came down to the six kids. They got all the paperwork done. He was authorized. He came into the ward. Um, Kane had, had just been woken up from the coma, was not moving, obviously three and a half months. There's not a lot of muscle there. Um, Sven brought in some swag. And one of the things he brought in was a little, a little ball with the Vancouver Canucks logo on it. So Sven was talking to Kane, hoping that he would hear him. And he tossed the ball and then Kane pushed the ball back to Sven. So Sven pushed the ball with Kane for eight hours. Sven came back. Eventually 
through this, it got to a point where Kane was then moving. Uh, I am happy to report that Kane is um, back and participating in Heroes. And this is, you know, obviously six years ago now. But I, I really want people to understand that Sven, there's lots of good people in hockey. There's lots of good kids in sports, men, women, and everything. But in this particular case, I always believe that Sven went above and beyond. You know, it's one thing to go and, and spend a couple minutes, but it's a completely different thing to go and spend eight hours rolling a ball with a kid coming out of a coma. And um, I would have told that story with Sven on the line, but I know it's really emotional for for Sven and I didn't want to put him in an awkward position. So I wanted to share that story. So back to your question, the question you asked is why do, why, because of that, um, I, there's so many, um, there's so many people that want to dog on Dougie Hamilton and I guess I'm one of them, but I've also seen Dougie Hamilton around heroes kids. And I've also seen Dougie Hamilton do things for kids. Um, you know, uh, there's lots of stories like that. Um, but I have a lot of time for Sven Berchi, a lot of time. Apologize again for the, uh, the, the lights. I don't even know. Uh, we, I've never seen that part before. What was going on there? Okay. So I bought all these fancy batteries. Yeah. So we could get rid of some of these cords in here. Yeah. Turns out the batteries last 30 minutes. Ah, so okay. I, had to, I had to plug everything back in. Cause it was like one would go out and then one, and then one would go out here and then this one would go back in and everything. Yeah. And I'm like, so what have I done? It would go out and then I go get the cord and plug it in. And then the next one would go out and I did it again. And I think it happened like three or four times. So. You know what? It, it, if it was easy, everybody be doing it. That so that's true. what we'll go through. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Coming up on Monday, Ryan Pike will be here. Lyle Peterman's going to join us. Uh, the AJHL showcases next week in town. Pike will uh, give us a sense of the first couple of days in, in training camp. Remember, we're back uh, with Wednesday shows starting October 4th. Peter Marr returns on October 4th. Eric DeHatchuk returns on October 6th. Uh, just to give you a little sense of the flow of things. Thanks again to Sven Berchi for joining us, and thanks to you, Jack, again. Uh, get that camera set up so you can be part of this, because uh, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.